Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to the Supply Chains to Admire. This is research we do every year to understand which companies are driving improvement, outperforming the peer group, and driving value. My name is Laura Cesari. I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights, and today I want to talk about what is supply chain excellence, which companies are outperforming their peer group, and what can we learn from the insights. So let's start with an introduction. This is a study of supply chain excellence, and I started this work because lots of people say, oh, I want to drive supply chain excellence, and they then ask the question, what does supply chain excellence mean? And they look at me like, aren't you the dumbest analyst in the world? And you may think that, but really there's not a real good definition of supply chain excellence. I don't think there's one definition. What I'm trying to do is provide insights to drive a data-based discussion around balance sheet performance. What is possible? What are companies doing? And let us hold a mirror to our current practices to say, are we driving better performance? So that's my goal. This is an analysis of 460 publicly traded companies in 28 industry sectors. The data comes from public reporting in a consolidated syndicated form on Y charts. Y charts basically consolidates all of the public data. So public markets in Europe, public markets in North America, and allows us to look at the 10 years of analysis on the different companies. Now, we're looking at the period of 2012 to 2021. So every report, we look at 10 years. And our high level is 25 companies outperform their peer groups. Now, we could have multiple companies in each peer group and we could have no companies in each peer group. What's very important about this analysis is the definition of peer group. And most people, when they do this kind of work, don't really compare themselves against their peer group. And one of the things I want you to take out of this webinar is that peer group analysis is so important. You may not agree with how we've defined the peer groups in our analysis, but the pattern of the peer group is extremely important in the definition of supply chain excellence because the company needs to push above the peer group and to really understand what's possible at a peer group level. Unlike other analysis where we put all companies in a spreadsheet and we shake them up and we compare a semiconductor to a chemical company, we don't do that. It's very peer group based and we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about what is a good peer group. So this is our ninth year. This methodology is not perfect, but it really looks at the details of growth, operating margin, inventory turns, and return on invested capital. We selected these metrics a decade ago when we were doing work with a university in Arizona and we worked with the statistical department to say what combination of metrics would drive the highest market capitalization. And we wanted four to six metrics. And we looked at combinations of 150 different metrics. And we selected 
these metrics because we believe it represents a balanced scorecard or an effective frontier. One of our other objectives is to try to get supply chain professionals to speak the language of finance and to move past functional metrics to drive a balanced scorecard. So why do we do this? Well, first of all, we want to drive a different discussion on supply chain excellence, and we want to have an objective measurement for our research, as well as for the boardroom. But we also want to help to share data with supply chain leaders around the world to help people to benchmark and build balanced portfolios. One of the things that companies struggle with is what is a good benchmark, say for inventory turns, or how have inventory turns changed in certain industries, or who's doing better at margin. Our third mission is to gain an understanding of how supply chain decisions translate to balance sheet performance. Our takeaway is it takes four to five years for a company that's driving improvement to outperform their peer group. So often supply chain leaders or people that are managing supply chains are impatient. They're expecting that they're gonna get these results in two to three years and we find that that's not the case. We also find that smaller companies outperform larger companies, which is illogical to a lot of companies because they think that the big branded companies have it figured out and they do better. We don't find that. We find that the current issues around alignment and political process latency throw the supply chain out of balance in large companies. We also want to help supply chain leaders to think about how we align on that balanced portfolio and align with finance because over the last decade, we have driven a gap between finance and operations. And even though we think about integrated business planning, we can't really plan together as long as that a gap exists. And I find that there are three issues. One is the lack of clear definition of supply chain excellence. Second is alignment on line of sight or which horizon we're talking about and constraints and what's feasible. And then the third issue that I find is that we are not aligning the balance scorecard to bonus incentives in the organization. So we often have gaming behavior, particularly if we have regional governance structures where a local PL can set their own goals. So in summary, our goal is to build an objective standard that's data-driven and updated with the industry as the industry changes so that we can help people to understand what is resilience, how do I drive consistent results year over year, and whether the market, and I gotta tell you, as I look at the last four years of the market by industry segment, it's like, wow, what a ride we've been on. I mean, we have to have a whole different discussion of resiliency, but also how we have balance in the organization on a balanced scorecard, how we define performance, how we define improvement, and then the discussion of value. When I wrote my first book, Bricks Matter, I was actually having a number of supply chain leaders review it, and Keith Harrison, who led the supply chain teams at Procter & Gamble for over two decades, asked me the question of, how do you define value, Laura? And how do we help organizations to go from a 
cost-based agenda to a value-based agenda. And I said, well, you're right, Keith, I didn't answer that in the book. But part of what I do in the supply chains to admire is we do a value assessment against price to tangible book, which looks at how well are people using their assets and market capitalization. So the balanced scorecard we use is year-over-year growth, operating margin, inventory turns, and return on invested capital. Now, many people will say, well, Laurie, you've missed it. I really want to have customer service on this balanced scorecard. Well, I do too. And when I'm implementing, I always put customer service on the effective frontier, which this is supposed to represent. But there is no industry standard for customer service. There is also no good industry standard, in my opinion, on corporate social responsibility. So I would like to add those elements to the analysis, but I can't find them across the industry peer groups. So I use where I think the data is substantial and meaningful to be able to look at the interrelationships. Now, each of these metrics have interrelationships because they're nonlinear, and that nonlinear frontier is what we call the operating frontier. And so as companies think about supply chain excellence, we want them to think about improvement, we want them to think about value, and we want them to think about performance. So in the methodology, the first thing we do is we stack rank all of the companies by improvement which is a vector analysis of their performance on these metrics as we chart them to see the pattern. And I'll show you some of that in what we call orbit chart analysis. If companies are driving improvement at the intersection of growth and return on invested capital and operating margin and inventory turns, they're stack ranked and the index which measures that We'll start at one, and the company that's driving the best improvement actually has a low ranking. And we'll stack rank that. And if companies are better than two-thirds of the peer group, then they will make the improvement. And then there's the value assessment, and that assessment is either they're outperforming the peer group based upon price to tangible book or performance on the outstanding metrics of growth, operating margin, inventory turns, return on invested capital. And I just want to talk a minute about this, about the difference between cost and operating margin, because many times companies are focused on cost, but the focus on margin drives better alignment in the organization. And so in the report, which we'll publish early next week, you will see each company stacked ranked on improvements and performance and value. So let's get into the analysis. And Regina, maybe we could mute. There's a little background noise there. And so I just want to get the background noise out. So the first thing is market has been extremely turbulent. And if you look at the days of inventory by industry and the comparison over the years, we have 37 more days of inventory across the industry segments than we did in the Great Recession of 2007. And you might say, wow, you know, our shelves are bare. We're struggling for orders and reliability on that first mile. How can we have more inventory? Well, you know, three things have happened. 
We have more in-transit inventory because of the longer lead times and the lack of variability insights on what's happening in logistics. Second thing is our cycle times increased in manufacturing with the lengthening of the long tail. And we're not as good at production scheduling as we used to be. And so in-transit inventories and cycle inventories that are happening in manufacturing are the first two reasons. The third reason is that we've been very reactive through the pandemic and many organizations have the wrong inventory. So I'm expecting we're going to have a lot of inventory restatement. We've already started to see this with Bed Bath & Beyond and Target, and people are starting to write down their inventories, and our warehouses are full, our containers are full, and we're going to have a balancing of inventory. But if you look across these inventories, inventory optimization, the form and function of inventory is an opportunity and it's a greater opportunity now than it was before. And so as you look at the data that I'm going to share with you, I want you to really think about your own organization and the fact that most people measure too many things. They're focused on functional metrics, which functional metrics do not align with balance sheet metrics. So if you are measuring OEE or purchase price variance or lowest logistics cost or lowest manufacturing cost, you are sub-optimizing the supply chain because you're focused on local optima. What drives performance is when you're on a balanced scorecard. You may not like the one that I suggest, but a balanced scorecard that looks at some element of growth, some element of margins, some element around inventory and some element around assets. And of course, when I implement this locally, I always use customer service. But what you want to do is you want to align the organization on a balanced scorecard, and then you want to take your functional metrics and focus them on reliability. Things like forecast value add on demand. Do I have a reliable demand signal? Schedule adherence and first pass yield in manufacturing. And then what you want to do is be able to look at these goals to be able to look at how I achieve balance because most people are looking at cost and looking at an efficient supply chain, which is the lowest cost, which throws the supply chain out of balance and makes it very brittle. Instead, you have multiple supply chains. You've got some that need to be very responsive, very short lead times. You've got some that need to have a focus on cost. But most of the items, because of the extreme demand and supply variability we're experiencing right now, need an agile supply chain, which allows us to look at how do we buffer inventory through things like postponement and platform rationalization? How do we manage complexity? How do we reduce nodes? How do we design for this complexity we're seeing? And my goal is that we can drive the supply chain based upon what's possible and get out of all this financial reengineering on spreadsheets because I think the use of spreadsheets is a major risk to the supply chain. 93% of decisions are made on spreadsheets and in this world of high variability, we just can't have that. So let's get to the winners. Who won? Well, I'm going to take you back to 2020. We had 22 award winners in 2020 and I'm going to build up to 2022. So in 2020, we had three retail award winners, five process award winners, and 14 discrete award winners. Now, L'Oreal had been an award winner 
every year up until this year and they start to drop out of the supply chains to admire because of the inability to manage growth margin and inventory. Rick at Benkiser also drops out. Monster drops out in the next year but comes back in 2022. AbbVie outperforms the pharmaceuticals. Ecolab drove great improvement from 2013 to 20 but drops out with a leadership change. Dollar Tree and Dollar General will often makes the supply chains to admire. Both of them drop out with the issues in retail. Ahold comes back into the picture in 2022. And on the discrete industry, we have consistent winners that you'll see. So in 2020 to 2021, these are the companies that come over, right? And so TSMC, which many people don't know, has one of the very best supply chains in semiconductor. Lockheed Martin on their great work on supplier development and product lifecycle management and program management and A&D outperforms, Broadcom outperforms. Asso Abloy, which many people don't know, they make things like doorknobs and fasteners outperforms. Packer outperforms, Apple outperforms, and a small company, Sleep Number outperforms. They always say they don't sell a bed, they sell sleeps, but it's an innovation around selling furniture. Now, in 2021, we get Nike to come in, Inditex comes in, many people know Inditex is Zara, Temper Sealy comes in, NVIDIA comes in, which makes a lot of gaming chips, Intuitive Surgical, which is robots for the hospital, Western Digital comes in, and you can see that Dollar General replaces Dollar Tree and Roth comes in. So let's continue. So as we go to 2022, we have Selenese and AbbVie continue on the process side, and we have Roth continue on the retail side. And again, ESMC continues, Lockheed Martin continues, Broadcom continues, Intuitive Surgical continues, Apple continues, Asso Abloy, Sleep Number, Nike, and Packer. So these are our supply chains to admire 2022 award winners. Ahold in grocery retail, Ross in apparel retail, CCL in packaging, Selenese in chemical, Monster Beverages in the beverage sector, AbbVie and pharmaceuticals, and the Clorox company comes back. They've not been on the list for four years, but they have a great story on supply chain segmentation and how to reduce complexity. Now on the discrete industry, again, Toro, which has been in and out of this analysis for many years, comes back, Nike stays, Amatech, comes in in the diversified industry, Subaru from automotive, Northrop Grumman in A&D, and Hubble in the discrete and diversified industries, and ResMed comes back on the medical device. So this particular analysis shows that the small companies are outperforming the bigger companies, that discrete industries are more resilient and able to drive better performance than some of the process in retail. The, what's happened in the pandemic has been really hard on retail. 
And the list of companies that are here are not the branded companies that most people think about as supply chain leaders. And in fact, there's only three companies on this list that are consistent between the Gartner Top 25 and this analysis. And some people will say, well, what is the difference between the Gartner Top 25 and the supply chain Stuttmeyer? And I have you know, some detailed slides later on, but you know, the Gartner Top 25 is 50% public opinion and public opinion perpetuates this belief that large branded companies are doing the best in supply chain. And that's not what we see in the balance sheets. What we see in the balance sheets are smaller companies that are more focused, particularly if they have an innovative product line like Intuitive Surgical. I was on the phone with them this week and they're like, you know, we do a great job at the hospitals. We do a great job with our robots and scheduling surgical, but you know, classical supply chain, we maybe not do so well. They're driving innovation through their product delivery. So if a product has an innovative product line and the supply chain is driving that innovative product line like Sleep Number or TSMC or Broadcom, then they will often do better. So if you look at the history of the supply chains to admire, because I think it's, you know, good time to reflect, Apple has made it every year but one, right? The Apple innovation, what Apple does in product development, you know, clearly an outperformer, particularly on margin. L'Oreal made it in the early years, fell out because of the issues around inventory and margin and growth. Broadcom, TSMC from the semiconductor industry continues to do well. You don't find Intel on this list, and uh, you can see in the analysis, Dollar General falls out because of inventory, Nike continues, TJX falls out because of inventory management, Packard continues, Dollar Tree falls out on inventory management, Ross Stores comes up, Eastman, a prior winner in chemicals, doesn't make the cut this year, Sleep Number continues for the last four years, AbbVie is the winner in pharmaceuticals for the last three years. SO Abloy and Consumer Durables, Selenese and Chemical, Clorox in Household Products, Intuitive Surgical in Med Device, and Ahold in Grocery Retail, Monster Beverages, ResMed in Medical Device, and Toro. So this is where we are on the award winner survey, looking at the number of years and what I want to do now is just spend a little time talking about the patterns and what do I see. I think it's a good time for us to question our processes, our technologies, as we think about the process in the retail industries. Why are companies not able to better perform against peer group? When we have lots of presentations on stage and we learn from business leaders are we asking ourselves the question of, is that company outperforming their peer group as we learn from them? And do we want to emulate them? So I'm gonna just give you some details around an industry. We're gonna go into the process industry and I'm gonna show you some examples. I'm not gonna show you a lot because I could really bore you. Uh, and it'll all be in the report that's gonna publish next week. 
But, you know, if you look at the industry segments, the industries perform very differently. And when we get into the details, you're going to see that the industry has more turbulence in the last four years than we've ever seen since we started tracking this in like 1990s. So we are riding a wave of turbulence, but yet we haven't really changed our technologies. We really haven't changed our processes. And if we look at you know, the year-over-year -year growth and the inventory turns and the operating margin and the return on invested capital on an average level, you can see that these industries perform very differently. Consumer non-durables, which is also called household products or consumer goods, operates at a higher margin than beverages or chemical or containers and packaging or food. And pharmaceuticals operates at one of the highest margins, but performs worse overall. So sometimes an industry that has a lower margin will actually outperform in supply chain because of the need. So let's take a particular industry and let's go in and let's just look at what the details tell us. So the winner in beverages is monster beverages. Now, if you look at beverage industry, and you look at revenue growth across the historic 2012 starting place, the decline going into the pandemic at 6.4, the negative growth in 2020, and then the spike in growth in 2021, you gotta say, this is not a time where I really wanna be doing demand management on historic orders. I really need to be much more market driven. Look at that swing in revenue growth. And look at the operating margin. You know, this industry was fairly consistent in margin, but like most industries, the inventory turns are going down. And these inventory turns are going down. And again, we want inventory to turn faster. So the fact that the inventory turn is going down is a negative because it's really draining cash. These inventory turns are going down because of greater in transit inventories bigger issues on cycle stock management due to the long tail of the supply chain, issues of factory scheduling on cycle stock, and the added complexity in the channel. Only 9% of companies design their supply chain and very few manage complexity. But now is a time because across all 28 industry segments, we see that inventory is an issue. And then you can see return on invested capital. And return on invested capital is a way that you can measure if a company's investments in capital are doing better than the industry. Now, this is an orbit chart. And remember, I talked about that we measure improvement by looking at the patterns of the orbit chart. So one of the things we do, and it takes us about four months to do this report, is we look at the pattern of the orbit chart versus the industry average. So on the left-hand side in blue, you can see the industry average. And this is the intersection of inventory turns and margin. You can see a pretty small pattern, but the inventory turns are going down in beverage. Now let's look at monster beverage. 
the average, the beverage industry is 17% margin, 5.42 turns for this period. But when we look at the monster beverage numbers, you can see that they're operating at 32% margin and 5.47 turns. You can see the difference in the pattern that they're outperforming their sector. Now in the report for every industry segment, we give you this data. And this data helps you to see what's happening across the peer group and what you can use for a benchmark standard. And again, smaller companies are outperforming bigger companies. So like Anheuser-Busch, which is very, very fanatical on inventory turns, now underperforms the inventory turn target for this particular industry. Very high margins, but underperforming in inventory. So if you go back to the methodology to make the supply chains to admire, the first cut is you look at improvement and you look at the industry and are you doing better than the industry at a two-thirds level. So Molson Coors is driving the highest level improvement, but the cut for this particular industry is 17. Are you driving improvement up until 17? That ranked. And then if you meet that hurdle, then we look at performance of are you outperforming the industry on growth? And you can see Monster is on inventory turns, and you can see they are on operating margin. You can see they are on return on invested capital, and yes, they are. And are they driving better numbers on value, price to book, and market capitalization? And again, you see they are. So this company meets the supply chains to admire. Again, only 25 companies actually outperform on improvement, performance, and value. And our goal is to change the dialogue. So let's take another industry in the process industry, the chemical industry. Very different dynamics for this industry, right? You can't really compare beverages to chemical other than we have liquids that flow in pipes. But look at the revenue numbers for the chemical industry. 4% revenue growth in 2012, negative 4.1 in 2019, negative 3.9 in 2020, and 22.9% growth in 2021. I mean, it's like we had our foot on the brake and then we had to put our foot on the gas. And this industry has a demand latency of 180 days off the market. So if they're using orders, they've got their foot on the brake way too long. And look at the operating margin. They were not resilient as they saw the fall in growth. And you can see, again, the inventory turns are going down because of more inventory on the water, more volatility on logistics, and the return on invested capital was seriously affected by what happened in the growth. So this industry struggled with resilience. They struggled with resilience because of demand latency, because of you know the extreme volatility of demand. And if we look at just a few players across this industry, Selenese outperforms BASF and Dell. And most people wouldn't think that Selenese would outperform against BASF and Dell. But you can see that Selenese is 
able to, you know, drive some of these more resiliently. And so here we have Selenese on the orbit chart, again, outperforming 14% margin, 5.52 on the inventory turns against the chemical industry, which has 11% margin and 4.95 turns. Now look at that industry chart and how the average inventory turns are going down. Many times when people benchmark, because they're not aware of what's happening in the industry, they won't necessarily set the benchmark targets appropriately to be able to look at this. And again, here we have the numbers for this particular industry so you can look at the way we do an analysis. When we get the report, which will come out next week and look at it for LinkedIn, you'll have all the industry segments with this information around the resiliency in the industry and who the winners are. And it's my hope that you can use this data and throw away, you know, things that are public, you know, beliefs about companies <clears throat> to be more data-driven, compare to peer groups, and take the long view. Because the only three companies that make the supply chains to admire and the Gartner Top 25 are Apple, AbbVie, and Nike. And I just want to change the discussion because the Gartner Top 25 rewards 75% of companies that underperformed on growth, 29% that underperformed on margin, and 42% that underperformed on inventory turns. And I want companies to win. I want to start by redefining supply chain excellence to be not focused on functional metrics, but on balance sheet metrics, and for people to have a more holistic discussion about what is supply chain excellence using sector data, using data-driven benchmark data, because our current perceptions of what good is is not aligned with business outcomes. And I think accountability by supply chain professionals is paramount, and we need to celebrate the 4% of companies that won. So this particular report will published next week, and we will continue the dialogue. We'll have three companies that will present at the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit, and it's in September 6th through the 8th, and it's in Washington, D.C., and we'll have a virtual component as well as an in-person component. So if you can't travel, you can register to hear this work online. Sarah Barnes-Humphrey will be facilitating this. <laughs> and encourage your team to because we'll focus on five major themes future supply chain 2030, things like ethical labeling, future of healthcare as we move from efficient sickness to wellness, how do we build value chains. Then we'll have the supply chains to admire presentations and we'll examine why certain companies are winning over other companies at the balance sheet level. Then we'll have our discussion around advanced forms of analytics, things like listing posts. Western Digital has actually taken the data from customer service emails to build listening posts. They have a unified data model where companies are actually doing bidirectional orchestration on a unified data model because as you know, many companies have multiple systems and the systems don't really align and 
we can't just waste our time talking about integration. We've got to focus on interoperability. And then we'll have a discussion of outside-in processes. And then we'll end with leadership discussion. So I hope to see you there. And thank you for attending today. And thank you for joining our webinar. We will be making this available on YouTube. And we will be sharing the presentation and the report next week. Have a great day, and I hope this helps you to become much more data-driven in your definition of supply chain excellence. Thanks.